0: everybody. Welcome to the evolution podcast where we question what makes our life truly ours. I'm Shereen Jaffer and I'm very excited to introduce you to some incredible people with fascinating stories. I have Emily Adams here to tell her awesome story. Um, I came across her when I was reading a re- uh, reading an interview um, online about this power lifter, Emily Adams, and what she does to optimize her mo- mind and body. And when I heard or read her story and how she actually became a power lifter, it just blew me away. So Emily, I'm so excited to have you here uh, to learn a little bit more about you, your background, and thanks so much for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be here and share everything and anything that you want to know about.
0: So I i mean, it was so cool to read this interview where honestly, you know, I was expecting an interview about an athlete telling us about their routine, which you did, but it started with such an interesting background on you and how you grew up in a completely different culture uh, and chose to leave that culture. So let's start there. Let's start with your childhood. Tell me a little bit more about how you grew up and what childhood was like for you.
1: Yeah, so I was born and raised in Indiana and I grew up in an Amish culture and I will put a disclaimer out now for those that are already wondering, oh, are those Amish reality uh, TV shows really true? Uh no, shocker, I know. <laughs> so, those th- there's maybe some truth to it but not much. Um anyways, I grew up uh at the age of 17 made the decision that I was going to leave the culture and I would say at a very young age, maybe around 13 and 14, um, because I only went to eighth grade, which um, is technically a sixth grade education in public schools. And after you got out of school, the, the career path for a female in the Amish world was you get out of school, you then learn how to cook, clean, sew. And then by the time you're 16, you start going with the youth group, you start dating, You're um, in a relationship, you're married by 18 or 19, and you start having kids, and that's basically it. So, looking at that, I was like, this is not something that I wanted to do and I wanted to have. And I wondered, you know, what would it be like to not one, get stereotyped anytime I went out in public, and two, just to have a different life? Like, what would it be like? But knowing that I couldn't ask my parents this question was because, you know, it was forbidden that we even question that. And finally, at the age of 17, I made the decision to leave uh, everything I had known and left the culture and was not prepared for the culture shock I was uh, about to go through. Went through a culture shock at the same time, became pregnant at 18 and uh, married at 19 because the culture I grew up in is if you get pregnant, that is automatically who you get married to. So as soon as I found I was pregnant, I was like, you know, we have to get married. He agreed and it ended up being a very verbally abusive marriage and uh, I was going to leave. And then I had found out I was pregnant with my second son and I stayed for another two years until I no longer could take it and left and, me and, and became a single mom. And during this time, after going through a divorce, you know, going through the culture shock and now the divorce, it was like, I had no idea who I was. And it was one of the most difficult times in my life because I also didn't have family support at the same time. I was going through it alone. Yeah. So I know that was a lot.
0: (laughs) It was just such a good background. Uh, I want to like start from the top and just get deeper into everything you just shared. So number one, um, when you were growing up in your family, And you were growing up in this Amish culture. At what point, like, do you remember how old you were or what really triggered this recognition of, I don't think this culture is for me. I don't think this life is for me. Um, When did that really start happening in your childhood?
1: Yeah, so the age 13 and 14, you know, that was kind of when I started really struggling with it because it is a very religious culture. So they, you know, would say, you know, God is love, but at the same time, I never felt like I would ever be good enough for God to even get into heaven or like God was this scary, fearful person. And this was 13, 14, and it just kind of kept going the same way. And then at 16, I knew, you know, I had to make a choice whether I was going to join the church or not, because that was kind of the the expectations. You join the church and you, you know, keep living your life there. But I had lost um, one of my friends in a buggy accident. She had passed away. And in her funeral, something just kind of clicked with me of like, this isn't the life for you because of what the things that were said in the funeral. And, um, you know, this is in front of thousands of people. And I felt like, you know, this is your sign. You're going to have to you're going to have to figure out how to get out.
0: Wow. What, so from there, when you've had that realization, obviously you chose to leave, but did you have conversations with your family leading up to that point? Or was it a very drastic, just like cut the ties and leave? How did you prepare for that financially? What was that transition really like?
1: What those conversations were very, um, very, very painful. So kind of in the culture, once they know that someone is getting ready to leave the culture, they start bringing in different church people to talk to, you know, my parents sat down, talked to me and, you know, told me, you know, if you made the choice to leave, uh, the expectation was that I wouldn't be allowed to leave until I was 18, because they would just bring me back. That's what they wanted. That's kind of the thing that they kept telling me, you know, if you leave before you're 18, we're just going to make you come back. And all the church people, you know, were coming to talk to me about, you know, the decision I was making was wrong. I was going to hell. Um, my kids would never amount to anything. Like it was unreal. It was more of a brainwash tactic to get me to stay. And I got really, really good at blocking out things. And I blocked out everything I did not want to hear. I just blocked it out. And I can remember of, of an evening at night, I would just go to my room and I wrote, I journaled a lot And I would cry because, you know, I was lost and I had no idea. Like I was like, there's no, there's like, God's not even real. That's kind of where I was at. And I thought, you know, if they're sitting here telling me that I'm going to burn in hell for leaving, then guess what? I might as well go live my best life. I have no other choice like this. I might as well go live it up. I've already messed up too much. So from there, I actually ended up leaving in the middle of the night. Um, my, my sister, I went to go live with my sister for a while because my, I also had two younger brothers and my parents didn't want me to influence my two younger brothers. So they asked if I would go live with my sister because she was married. So I lived with my sister for a while and, um, I left in the middle of the night, jumped out of a two-story house, left. I had a friend that was not Amish that helped me, uh, kind of like just get started. And, um, I had a job within like, I think two weeks of leaving, I went to go work as, um, like a, in a restaurant and they would hire me without a GED because I didn't have a GED either. And then from there, I just, I ended up getting my GED. And then I went into the automotive world where I end up building my uh, career at.
0: Wow, got it. Well, one, I'm glad you had that friend, um, but I'm sorry that you know you had to go through all those conversations and not necessarily finding that support within your family um and your relatives. So, how was it also like living with your sister um was she were you having conversations with her? Was she supportive um what yeah, what did that transition really look like at that point?
1: Yeah. With my sister, like she was, she understood why I was doing it, but she had a lot of fear around me doing it because she, you know, kept telling me, you know, you know, that mom and dad aren't going to let you come back and we can't allow you to come, you know, here at our house, because if, if they got caught with me at their house, they would also get in trouble by the church because that was the rule. You know, I couldn't go back to see any of my other families that were members of the church because then they would get in trouble with the church And I told her, I was like, yeah, I know that. And we just kind of agreed to disagree. But interestingly enough, I left. And then a year and a half later, um, she left, my sister left. And then my other sister left six months later.
0: Wow. And I guess we'll we'll come back to your relationships with your family and your sisters. But um, you had mentioned when you left initially, there was this world of like culture shocks that you faced. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What were the culture shocks like for you?
1: Oh wow, there was a lot of them. <laughs> One was like the culture shock that was huge for me. I had no idea um, when it comes to like just buying clothes. Uh, it was so overwhelming. I had no idea what matches with what. Uh, I hated it. And then I went to go get my haircut. I had no idea what I was telling her how I wanted my haircut. Totally messed it up the first time I ever got my haircut. It was awful experience. And those were the two biggest. And then when I went into um, getting a job, working at a restaurant, I was not prepared for the rude comments. And I actually had stopped telling people that I came from the Amish culture because they would make fun of me all the time. So for the longest time, I did not share my story at all because I would get the rudest, most ridiculous comments made. And I was not prepared for that. So from my lesson working at a restaurant was like, you know, in your next job, you're not saying a word. So in my next job, I didn't say a word of any kind of culture and no one knew it, but I wasn't prepared to always feel like I still didn't fit in. So for years I struggled and this was even after some of the culture shock wore off. I struggled with where do I fit in? I was trying to find you know, where I fit in because I still thought I had this label, this Amish label to me. And, you know, years later and internal work later, I realized, you know, that was just a label I had put on myself and I really didn't have the label. I was just giving it myself.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of identity, uh, and reflection work that you obviously had to put in. Um, and I think growing up in a community that is so, set on their beliefs, um, it's very hard to detach yourself from that belief set because that's all you've known for such a long time. And when you speak up about not resonating or aligning with that belief set, you're told that you're wrong. Uh, and so it's really hard to also then associate your identity with something that quote unquote is said is wrong. Um, so I can, yeah, I, I resonate with a lot of that. And again, I'm, I'm sorry that I had to go through it, but you know, of course, you've come out of it now. And it's such a huge part of your story. And of course, the work you're not doing as a coach. So um, tell me more about, you know, you had mentioned in this point in your life, you're obviously, you know, going through a lot of different identity crisis, you're feeling lost, and you've now gotten into a marriage that isn't serving you either. Um, What were those, uh, you know, first years of your first marriage? Like, Um, how did you really Go through that? Did you have a support group at that point, um, you know, on your side? What was that like for you?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, So it was awful, but yet the best thing that ever happened to me, strictly because it taught me so much about myself. And no, I did not have any support system Um, as I was, I had like one or two friends that were there for me. And that was the only support system I had. And it took me three times, three attempts to actually leave the marriage before I actually left the marriage strictly because I was so scared to become a single mom because in the Amish culture, divorce and being a single mom is not heard of. And so I knew that here I go again, and I'm just going to be judged again because, you know, I'm a single mom and I've been divorced. And so it it just went strictly against everything that I had been raised to know. Um, and through this, though, I learned that I got the opportunity to become a single mom, but also to find a part of myself. So that was the beautiful part of it.
0: And what was that part of yourself that you found?
1: The part of myself that I found was... One, I finally started investing in what I wanted to do. So actually having a career and, you know, finding, finding, starting to find my voice and this happened, you know, through powerlifting, through working out in my marriage, he had refused to even let me work out because it was more of a, you know, if you get fit, then you're going to want to leave me. So I could never work out. I could never, you know, hang out with certain friends. It was very controlling. He controlled all the money, everything. And when I ended up leaving the marriage, I, you know, found, found out like, I do love to spend time with my friends. You know, I am really good at finances, even though he never allowed me to do any of this. I started finding out all these different things about myself. You know, I loved working out. It was something that I was passionate about and it was a huge part of my life and still is. And I could put myself through school without any support. So if, you know, I can sit here and put myself through college with two boys working full time, I found the strength that I needed in myself and to be my, the biggest cheerleader. I was always my own cheerleader.
0: Yeah, that's awesome and beautiful. And I think in when we go through these challenges and these hard times, I mean, there's some that I wish that you know no one had to go through, but regardless, it's inevitable. A lot of the times when we go through it, we start realizing, you know what, if I can do that, I can do anything. And you just start recognizing your own power and your own strength and Again, it's, it sucks that we have to go through these really hard times to discover that. But once you do discover it, it can be such a liberating moment. Um, is that, is, does that resonate with you? Uh, did you feel a type of liberation once you start, started recognizing those traits within yourself?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Definitely, 100%. I definitely can resonate to that. Um, and it's like the most empowering feeling that you'll ever have in your life.
0: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I, uh, I, I've had a lot of um, family members struggle with mental health, and I've been an intimate part of episodes that they've gone through that have probably been the darkest moments of my life. And, you know, I always look back to those moments, and while I wish, I do wish that they didn't happen because they were so painful for more than just me. They were painful for, you know, obviously the family members I was around, but at the same time, like having gone through those and and having come out of it stronger, honestly, and frankly, more aware of my own self and uh, you know, how I react in those situations and what I can, what I can do and what I can get through. They're liberating. Um, And you're right. I agree that they are also the best moments you can feel when you're having those realizations um, because you carry that strength with you and that recognition of that strength with you. And it helps you overcome way more than, you know, you had probably imagined previously. So totally aligned there. Um, But okay, Emily, tell me, so I, I was reading in your interview, you had also mentioned, you know, at this point, as you started taking A career seriously and pursuing a career in the corporate world, you ended up getting a job that had previously been your dream job. So tell us about that journey. Um,
1: This is where the gym came into play. And I thought, you know what? Now's the time to really straighten out my life. I got myself a gym membership. I was 55 pounds, like, gained 55 pounds with my youngest. And I was like, it's it's time to lose some weight because I need to be able to keep up with my boys. And I was always active growing up, but in the Amish culture, they don't necessarily play sports competitively. So they don't have teams, you know, we would just play in school. And then usually on the weekends we would get together and play, but not in a competitive league. Like we have like the opportunity outside of the culture. So I joined a gym and I can remember having this conversation um, with the guy that signed me up. He's like, you know, what's some of your goals? And I was like, you know, I want to become an athlete. And I, (laughs) one of the personal trainers was standing there and she was like, uh, yeah, you know, that's not possible. You're a mom. And I just, gosh, like, I just cringed and I didn't say nothing because then I had no confidence to speak up for myself. I was like this timid person. Everyone could walk all over me if they wanted to. And I started working out. I started losing weight. Meanwhile, I also enrolled to go to Purdue university. I wanted to get my bachelor's degree, um, in business and I wanted to do it in four years. And, um, so they kind of the lifting and the school and everything kept me really busy. So I didn't have to dwell on the divorce. <laughs> it was cheap therapy. Um, so <laughs> I got into Spartan races and the one year I did a double trifecta and Spartan races, um, really are mentally challenging and you don't realize just how much you can push through. And the more I trained, um, the more I realized, well, like mentally you have to be strong and you also have to be physically strong. So that kind of gave me the drive just to keep working out. I had dropped 65 pounds, was feeling good, and um had just was getting ready to graduate within my four years as, as being a single mom. And then I have actually found powerlifting and someone, would, some people would say it's by mistake. Mine is like the universe put it there for me. I went to the Arnold in Columbus, Ohio and walked up to a booth to buy knee sleeves to start squatting more in the gym because I had just gotten to the point where I was pretty good. I was starting to get a little bit stronger on the weights and giving up more of the running because the running was, uh, it was fun, but I was getting tired of it. I needed to change and um, walked up to the booth and it was actually USPA Powerlifting Federation. And it was the president that I was talking to. I had no idea who it was. And he was like, so do you powerlift? And I was like, no, I don't powerlift. And he was like, well, you should look into it. You definitely have the body type and it's a very open community. And we talked a little bit and I was like, he goes, you know, here's some contact information for people in Indiana that run these meets. And I was like, okay. So I decided to go to a meet and I saw this competition. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is what I've needed my entire life. I can go, I can compete and I can be, you know, the athlete that I want to be. I still wanted to be an athlete, even though I ran all these Spartan races, I still didn't view myself as an athlete. And I was still waiting for like some sort of validation to be an athlete. And, uh, I just, I also love the fact that when I showed up this competition, there was every shape and size of people. These women were incredibly strong. No one cared about what their body image looks like or what kind of meals they were eating or any of that. Like it was such an open community and I loved it. I love the atmosphere. It's so welcoming. And, um, Decided, you know, I would start, you know, prep for my first competition, and when I started prepping, I realized, like, wow, I'm strong. Like, I went from like a 200 pound squat. I ended up squatting, I think three, three something, out my first competition. My deadlift bench was strong, and that kind of led me to when I stepped on the platform, I realized not only did it give me an adrenaline rush, and I am an adrenaline junkie, but it also really gave me a level of confidence I never had in my life. And I had realized like, wow, I'm a freaking athlete and I'm a mom and you can do both. And this just really went into my career life as well. Like I was so confident in lifting. I became a more confident person. I also transformed into like, you know, in my career life, I knew what I wanted. I went after the job I wanted landed, you know, the dream job and powerlifting has been such a huge part of it, the mental part of it. And then fast forward, landed my dream job and, um, had what everybody would say on the outside, looked like a perfect world, had gotten married again, you know, have two incredible boys and this amazing dream job. And I was getting ready to compete again and uh, found out that he wanted a divorce. So now is divorce number two and uh, definitely rocked my world and um, took a long time for me to just take a few steps back and really look on, you know, who I am as a person and what I want. And, and it was after my second divorce, I actually took for the first time ever, I took a momcation by myself. And it was on that vacation, I realized that I. I had re I kind of lost who I was during my marriage and all of my dreams and I kind of allowed myself to really play small and I started allowing myself to dream again like what would I do what would be my dream career job you know I love this corporate world and it's amazing and it looks really good on paper but I can't make the impact that I want to make you know I didn't have I could only push for policies for so long. And then, you know, the the answer was no, and I couldn't have the impact I wanted. And then that's kind of what dread drove me to get out of the corporate world and to start my own thing. And I knew I wanted to compete in December and I wanted my thousand pound total. And I wanted this thousand pound total because I've been chasing this number since I started powerlifting. Because it was always my goal just to say, hey, I'm in the the thousand pound club, just so I could say it. And going into this competition prep, I started seeing that I could change my beliefs around a lot of things and I could rewire myself. I started visualizing everything. And the morning of the competition, you know, I would visualize all my lifts. I knew I needed a 400 pound squat, 400 pound deadlift, and at least a 200 pound bench. And, um, I went in completely zoned out. Like I just zoned everything out. Um, my best friend, who's also my coach for powerlifting, um, she called all my numbers. I didn't know what I was lifting and it was nice because no one interrupted me during that time. I kept my music in and just stayed strictly focused. I was so focused. And after my last pull on my deadlift, which was my last lift of the day, I knew I had reached a thousand pounds but I wasn't prepared for her to tell me that I had reached a thousand and thirteen, and in that moment, I knew that no matter what I thought mentally, I could achieve. So it didn't matter; like there was no like it was almost like I had tapped through another level of potential, and I was like, "Wow, you know this this is happening." And now I was also in the midst of I had the corporate career I wanted, right? So I, um, decided, you know, maybe now's the time because I, I've always known I've been called to do bigger and better things. I was like, maybe now's the time to leave the corporate world and follow after your dreams of what I wanted to do in my life. So I made the decision in February of 2020 to leave the corporate world, um, as a single mom to be a nutrition coach, which interestingly enough, you know, you would think, you know, I powerlift, I know like macronutrition like the back of my hands, And, uh, I soon learned, uh, it was not in alignment with me. And for a few weeks, I kind of freaked out because I had no idea what I'm going to do. And then, you know, it was during COVID and COVID-19 was just a blessing for, for me and my voice. Like I, it gave me the space and the time to slow down. And during this time is when I really, um, found meditation and my spiritual life just shifted to another level. And one morning I realized it hit me that, you know, business lights you up and you should be a business coach.
0: That's that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Talk to me now more about obviously your career as an athlete, um, you know, starting from going to that gym and that trainer saying, oh, that's impossible. You're a mom. You can't become an athlete. To, now, obviously, you know, having been one and having had such a huge impact on your personal life and your professional life, um, what was that journey like for you? Um, what did you hear from people? What were the opinions, whether it was from your Friends or family or just people you competed with. Um, tell us more about that journey.
1: Yeah, so from day one, you know, walking in there and being overweight and super self conscious to you know starting to lose weight and and it's interesting because when I started to lose weight, everyone's like, "Wow, that's amazing!" You know, you're doing a really good job. And then all of a sudden, I start to shift to be like, "Okay, now I'm going to compete competitively in powerlifting as a mom." and it's interesting how society automatically will start you know start judging you know who are you to you be competing as a mom like who does that and because it's not too it's not too common you know in the powerlifting world it is very common that moms powerlift and i actually had a lot of parents you know tell me you know maybe you should focus more on your children instead of uh, working out or the comments made of like, what do you spend two two hours a day, seven days a week in the gym? And I was like, no, actually, it's five days a week. And it's not two hours a session. So I dealt a lot with um, kind of the haters on that side, you know, I would show up to drop my son off at football practice while he was at football practice, I would go work out. And when I came back, I would hear the comments of, oh, so you were working out. And I'm like, yeah, of course I was. And, you know, these are just things that I had to deal with as a mom that was, you know, looking to compete. And then when you go into prep mode, you know, it's even more mentally challenging because you know you have a competition coming up. You're in this prep mode, you have to stay super focused. But at the same time, you, I also had to be a mom for my boys and trying to figure out, you know, how does my, how can I work out and still be a mom and still stay in prep mode? And then on competition days, you know, still staying very focused. So I had a lot of support when it came from the powerlifting community. I had tons of support there and I really surrounded myself with those type of people. And that was the biggest thing that got me through that. And I don't think I would be going into nationals this year had it not been for that support. Um, because I had qualified in my December meet to go to the drug tested nationals of September this year. And had I not surrounded myself in that support and just being like, you know, no matter what your hard day, your hard days, I would reach out to, you know, my friend and, and tell him, you know, look, I'm just, I'm just getting ready to give up powerlifting because I'm done. Like I, I am done. There are those moments, but Having that support system just to be like, no, you're not done. You know what you want. You know you want to go to nationals. You know these numbers that you want to hit. Do the best you can, and tomorrow is a new day. And that support system is what got me through a lot of it and continues to get me through a lot of it. And and for those that you know, say, well, I struggle just to stay motivated in the gym, guess what? motivation is just BS. It's the discipline that will keep you going. No matter what, no matter if I'm having an off day or whatever I am feeling, I still know that I'm disciplined enough to keep showing up because I still know I'm not done competing as a powerlifter.
0: I love that. And I love that you said that sentence around motivation versus discipline, because I get that asked all the time is how do you stay motivated Constantly, and it's it's you know I I consider myself as a highly motivated person, but I have so many days, um, and they're cyclical where you just have lows and you don't want to do something, and that's when you have to count on your discipline um, to know that even when I'm not feeling motivated, I'm still going to show up because that's just it, it is discipline. Um, it's it's a it's a different feeling. It's a different. Trait. Um, I've met people who are very motivated and they want to do a bunch of things and they have so much passion, but they don't have the discipline to stick by it. Um, and so their motivation doesn't end up being leveraged in the right ways, and um, or in the ways that they wanted to want to use it. So I love that. Um, when did you? How do? Uh, when people come to you because this happens to me a lot. When people come to you and they have this passion that you know, is is stereotypical or they're being stereotyped into not pursuing that passion because, you know, whether there's not people that look like them that are pursuing that type of sport or hobby or whatever it may be, uh, maybe if it's a male-dominated field and it's a woman that's wanting to get involved with it and maybe it's related to age, build, whatever it may be, when they come to you and they say, you know what, my... I don't have a community, um, like in you know, powerlifting, you had a community of all shapes and sizes. People came together. There was this vibe to it that immediately made you feel welcome. When you're working with people who don't necessarily have that community and they need to either find it within themselves or they need to seek out people, individuals that can help them, what's your advice to those people?
1: Yeah, so my first thought was build your own tribe. And I say this, and yes, it's not easy to build your own tribe, but you can do it. There are so many people that started out the exact same place those people are at. And right now, we live in such a virtual world, which is just incredible. You can find support systems all across the world. And especially even just an entrepreneur for me, like I find all these different groups that have supported me and I found connections in these groups. So if you feel like you don't have a tribe or a support system, go online and I guarantee you, you can find a support system for whatever you are doing. If not, start your own and people will follow. It's, I know it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It is, but. There is support systems out there for everyone, but we also, I want to remind you to stay open to support because I struggled a lot with, I would have people that would be like, hey, I want to support you. But independent me was like, no, I don't need support. I can do it on my own until I got to the burnt out version of myself. And then I was like, you know, drowning in water here. Like I need help like now. So, just be open to the support as well, yeah, I loved also what
0: you mentioned. you know you can go out there and seek individuals that are involved with the things you want to get involved with, or even if it's not the same thing, but they've taken taken a similar journey where you know they had to go against the norm they had to find your own path um there's so much so much support and empowerment you can get just from people who've been there, done that, Um, like Emily, obviously. So absolutely, I think being open to support and seeking those folks out is really important. And then second thing that Emily said that I really liked is you know also just start putting yourself out there. So I found that just writing, just writing what you're working on, what you're thinking about, what you're interested in really attracts people to you. Um someone sees your writing, they 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 might be seeking support and all of a sudden you two fi- find each other. That happens more often than we realize. So if you're someone out there that again is is looking for support with your decisions um, or just someone you want to think through different decisions with it's, it starts with just being open and talking about it. And maybe you don't feel comfortable talking about it in your immediate network. That's where frankly, you know, forums and discussion groups and communities, Slack community communities, Facebook groups, those come into um, play because you can, you can simply talk about it with a group of strangers and find people that relate, um, or maybe want to be taking similar actions as you are. So, thanks for sharing that, Emily. And now, you know, you mentioned you you quit your corporate job earlier this year. So pre COVID, uh, you chose to make this huge careers change. Um, and as a single mom, how how has that been for you? Uh, I know you mentioned COVID was all the this new normal has been a blessing for you and your boys, um, but business wise how has it gone really for you?
1: I would uh, describe it as a beautiful mess, um, strictly because that's kind of what it was. And, you know, the nutrition coaching, you know, didn't align with me. And then during, you know, COVID hits and finding the time and the space to, you know, find meditation and make it part of my, you know, everyday routine. And then, Building, you know, deciding to go into online business, you know, being a business coach. I am going to be completely honest here. I had this moment of, who are you to go build this online business coach? Like, how are you a business coach? And then I had to remind myself, you know, wait a minute. You spent 12 years in automotive, you dealt with a very male dominant world, and you had multiple leadership positions. Why can't you? Be a business coach. Like, what is really holding you back? And I realized it was the fear of failing, the fear of not having a successful business. So, again, a limiting belief. So, I did a lot of work around that. And now, just to be able to stay at home with my boys, run an online business, and at the same time, see my clients grow, like growing their business. They're not just growing their business, but they're also growing their mindset, because that's part of my coaching strategy is we work through the limiting beliefs at the same time, scaling your business and growing your business. And it's probably one of the most, actually, it is one of the most rewarding jobs I've had in my life just to be able to be part of this, be part of their journey.
0: That's beautiful. And yeah, going back to eliminating beliefs, I talk about this a lot. It's, it's so interesting how many limitations we put on ourselves you know and and unfortunately a lot of them are influenced by society and how society tells us we need to behave and look and be and do Um, but so many of our beliefs that keep us from taking a chance are things we can we have full control over removing and eliminating so I love that you said that uh, and I love that you've been able to Throughout your entire journey, I think it's really important to call out, you know, even after finding su- success as a power lifter, even after finding success in your professional career, even finding, you know, finding yourself after your first divorce and your second divorce, even after all of that, there are still beliefs throughout um that you have to eliminate. Um, and you know, obviously your most recent one was this year. So um i think it's really easy for people to see folks who are unapologetically being themselves and doing their thing uh it's really easy for the outsider to see that person and say wow this person has all this confidence and they absolutely believe in themselves and while those are true there's a duality where we're still fighting trauma we're still fighting um you know different self-doubt criteria that we put on ourselves and that society has influence so uh, thanks also for sharing that part.
1: Yes, definitely. And for all of those that think that everyone else has it together, that's ju- that's just a limiting belief you have within yourself because none of us have it figured it out. And I was always waiting to start my business to start the things until you know when I have it figured out or when I have a plan. And then I heard this um, saying where it said, "Ready is a lie." And I realized, okay, yeah, there's my sign because if I wait until I'm ready, I'm never going to be there.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so, I resonate so hard. I, I, and I felt the same way. I mean, I, um, I remember when I was starting my first company. So I was 19, I had started this like summer project and, when it came time to graduate, everyone around me was saying, look, you're not ready to go full-time with this business because you know you need to go into the corporate world. You need to get enough experience. You need to know what it actually means to run a business. You need to have enough money in your savings because if your business flops, you need runway. I mean, there was a million reasons as to why I wasn't ready and why I shouldn't do something But something within me just kept saying, look, if I don't do this now, I don't think I'm going to do it later. And in hindsight, and I've said this before, in hindsight, I don't think that's true either. Um, If you choose not to do something now, it doesn't mean you can't do it later. You can absolutely do it later. But going back to feeling like you have to be ready for something, I do think that's BS. I think you're never going to feel ready. And when you do feel ready, even then it's, it's, it'll probably be different. Like what you want to do at that point will be different than what you thought you wanted to do before. So I think the perfect way to get ready is by doing it and by experiencing it and by finding your own flavor in it. I also have found that when I've done things, even when I haven't been ready for them, when I've done things, I've also realized, oh, actually, I didn't even want to do it in this way. And so if I had waited all that time to, quote get ready to do that thing, now I've invested all this time, wasted all this time getting ready for something I didn't want to do. So the best thing to even figure out if something is for you, if you're going to like something, if it's going to be successful, is by just getting started uh, and figuring out that way. So I love and totally resonate with that saying.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's one of those sayings that I've implemented in a lot of things that and just take messy action. Like you can't wait till you have everything perfect and messy action has been part of my business growth, but it allows me to go back and take notes on what were the good, what were the bad, what do I want to do moving forward?
0: Yeah. Totally. Um, coming from like a product perspective, I, you know, we say this in product and I think I mentioned this in my newsletter last week as well, but, um, for the product perspective, we always say, if you aren't at least a little bit embarrassed by what you shipped, by what you put out there, then you waited too long because then you spent all this time trying to get it perfect, Um, But you should be embarrassed a little bit, you should make it messy, um, because it allows you to go faster. And I'm not saying speed is everything. um, But getting your momentum, uh, just putting yourself out there, the more you do that, the more confidence you build within yourself, the more used to it you get. And so When you're starting off something um, new, I feel like that, that feeling, that self-confidence is more important than anything else. Um, Getting the perfect product, but if you struggle with self-confidence or self-conviction, that's something you're in battle through, regardless of how good your product gets. So uh, yeah, put yourself out there. It's okay if it's messy, um, but that's really what's going to help you really build that momentum for yourself.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Like I couldn't have even said it better. (laughs) I love it. (laughs)
0: So looking forward, um, you know, in this COVID world, unfortunately, that we live in, um, but how are you, what are you visualizing for yourself? I know you had brought up visualization before. Um, Actually, let's talk about visualization for a minute. Um, For people who aren't familiar with, you know, what does visualization really mean in the context of setting goals and achieving goals? Emily, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, visualization was actually a game changer and for, I'm not going to lie, I used to be very uh, non-spiritual and it was very religious driven and you can, whether you're religious or spiritual, whatever, not at all, like it doesn't matter, visualization still is going to work for you because it's almost like going back to that saying of you have to be able to see it before you can believe it. You have to be able to visualize it in your mind and really wrap your mind around it. So for example, if you want to visualize um, your business growing to from six figures to seven figures, you have to be able to really see it. What does that look like? How are you showing up? Are you showing up as a different person? What is that person that's making that seven figure doing with that extra money? Are they investing in themselves? Are they starting nonprofit? Whatever it may be. And if you're visualizing for me, for my lifts, anytime I would, you know, visualize what I wanted to hit in powerlifting, you know, the 400 pound squat. If I had a moment of doubt of like, oh, but what if I only hit 390? I'd be like, no, I've already visualized the 400. It's there. Like I know confidently it's there. And if you just take even five minutes out of your day and work on like one or two goals that you want to achieve in your life, you start visualizing it and it starts filling you with excitement. And that's just uh, puts you in a higher vibration, which is a whole other subject for a different day, but it puts you in this different elevated state and you realize, wow, this is incredible. This is going to be the life I have and you also learn that by visualizing your goals you can block out anything else that doesn't honor those goals so what visualization looks for me now is i'm get i'm in prep to go to national so i've already visualized 450 squat 450 deadlift and at least a 235 bench because that's what i want So every day I'm thinking, you know, this is what I'm going to have. Every time I'm training, I'm thinking I'm training like that athlete And the same way within my business. I want a seven figure business. I don't want six. I want seven. And yeah, it's scary to sometimes think and even put it out there. Sometimes it's just scary for us to say, I want a six figure business or I want a seven figure business because then we have all these doubts. Well, what if I don't do it? Or who am I to have a seven figure business? But that is what I visualize. I visualize myself seven figure business, having an amazing team work for me and being an amazing mom of two boys and traveling the world whenever I want, being able to work remotely wherever I want.
0: Yeah. I love that. I Visualization has been a big part of my life as well uh, for years. For I really came across the concept probably in when I was uh, probably like 2021 and I honestly didn't take it seriously until I was like 24 Um, and 24 was a year where, you know, my first company, Skillify, which I had had for now five years, and I bootstrapped it as a solo founder. And then at 24, I raised venture for my second company, Edvo. And I was this like female founder in education technology and, you know, raising funds. I mean, that in itself <laughs> is, is a process, but I really had to visualize it for myself. I had to believe in myself that I could make it happen when all the data and stats and everything was just, you know, not necessarily uh, in my favor. So visualization, manifestation, I mean, these are all, we can have, Emily, you and I can probably talk about this for hours because now just the words you're using, vibrations, I mean, these are things that are, I am so damn passionate about. And I think, unfortunately, um, our society, I think more people have opened up to it and embraced it and understood it and understood the science behind vibrations and frequencies and what it really means and how it impacts our bodies and our ability to hit our goals. And so for anyone that's interested in seeing it from even a scientific lens, um, I did another episode with Jill. I think it was episode five. I can't remember. But uh, it was with Jill Noble-Ash and um, she and I, from a scientific perspective, also talked about um you know really hitting our goals and visualizing and manifesting what we want for our future selves so i i agree emily with obviously the practices that you've embraced um and what you have to say on them i'll also say last week um I, I was writing about visualization for my community every single week. I sent out uh, an email newsletter with just, you know, tips and stories of living better and thinking better that have worked for me. Um, so for anyone that's interested, I, they become part of our community, and, and I write weekly pieces. and the topic last week was visualization, coincidentally. And um, we were looking through, as I was getting ready to write about it, I was looking at different studies because I really wanted to understand why do people struggle with visualization? And one of the studies, actually a bunch of studies found that when people think about their future self, when when they think about you know the person they want to be 10 years from now, they typically see that person as a stranger. When you don't visualize, you don't become friends with your future self. You see them more as this, oh, this person um, that I'll become in 10 years versus, oh, this is just the older version of me. This is someone who's 10. It's not even someone. This is me just 10 years older, right? Seeing it as your future self that you've become friends with versus seeing this as a different person in 10 years is very different because when you start thinking about what are you going to do now for that future self when you're friends with that future self you are more in tune with what you need to be doing now because you've already seen it it's already part of you it's already you So everything is now, you are going to be more motivated and disciplined to have whatever you're doing now and tomorrow and the day after um, be part of that journey to the future self. But when you see that person 10 years from now being the stranger, you're not going to be that motivated. You're not going to have internalized that path uh, to that person. So Visualization, I think, is something everyone needs to look into and understand and see if it works for them. But it's definitely worked for me. It clearly has worked for you, Emily. Uh, and when I say worked, I, all I mean is it's it's something that has helped us, helped me at least, understand my goals, stay disciplined towards you know achieving those goals, and feeling this unwavering self confidence and conviction that I've already hit those goals. Um, Because self-doubt is inevitable and it still comes up, but how you react to that self-doubt honestly determines if you're going to hit your goals. Um, So whenever I have self-doubt come up, it always comes back to, well, I've already seen it happen and I already know what's needed to make it happen. So that's what I'm going to keep doing because I know it's possible and I know it's achievable.
1: Yes. And I definitely agree with, with all of that. And we could talk all day long about manifesting and visualization affirmations, you know, you name it, but yeah, I definitely agree with you.
0: So when, when did you really, um, get introduced to manifestations and visualizations and affirmations? Is that something you found, uh, solo? Is that something you found in your community? How did you really come across those concepts?
1: Yeah. So I had uh, heard somewhat of like the law of attraction almost uh, maybe like nine months ago. But, you know, I'm very, I was a very skeptical person and I didn't believe it. And interesting enough, I had joined a mastermind, which is like a group of entrepreneurs, um, all that perform at a high level. And in this mastermind, I had met a manifestation coach who is incredible and has been an incredible part of my. Journey, and I started working with her and learned so much about it, just like law of attraction, um, manifesting different things, and how like the universe in general works.
0: From being introduced to it to now nine months later, um, how do you feel like it's impacted you? How do you feel like? What are some lessons you've learned, maybe that you can share with the audience um, that have really? shaped your thinking and the way you do things?
1: Oh, yeah, I've learned a lot. Uh, So one of the biggest things that I've learned is we all get signs. And um, coming from a religious background, I was like, you know, who are these people saying that they got a sign or a download? Like, what even is that? But it's interesting, because I learned that I will get signs, but I have to be open to receiving them. So I would always be like, yeah, I want to manifest this, but I didn't necessarily do the internal work to be able to be prepared to manifest things. And I think the, one of the biggest lessons is, yeah, if you follow someone that's a manifestation coach and you know, that does a lot of manifesting and talks about it, they make it look easy. It looks so easy. Like do these top five things and you can manifest this. But guess what? There is a lot of internal work that happens. And I just want to be completely real about the internal work. And it's very, very important that you do the internal work, because then it also goes into like the manic manifesting. And interesting enough, I had this where I was like, I'm going to manifest me a date. Oh, my, let me tell you, I started getting Facebook friend requests from tons of random strangers dms in my instagram you name it like all guys and i was like what in the world and this was like my first reality check of like whoa i was not specific in what i wanted to manifest i just wanted to manifest a date cuz i wanted to go on a date well you know i learned my lesson the hard way and um not very specific about what i want and how i put that out in the universe
0: <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's a really funny example as well. Um, I love that. And maybe we can include it in the episode, or maybe it's offline. But uh, do you want to share the impact this coach has had on you? Um, do you want to share his or her information with with the audience?
1: Absolutely. So the impact that this coach has had on me, she is just incredible because I can relate with her and she she just shows like she's very real. So you know, she has these workbooks things that you go through and um on Instagram she's called Manifesting Ninja. And I, she's when she shows up on a call, you know, I just love her energy and um she will get on a call and she'll be like I'll start talking and you know, she calls me out. She'll be like, "Whoa, Emily, let's think about this." Is this a limiting belief? Like, is this thought honoring you? And right now we're going through setting boundaries. And what happens if you don't set these boundaries? You know, it's leaky energy and how to protect your energy. And when I mean energy is like not being around people that are negative and really just protecting your energy and your time, because those are the most valuable things that you will never get back. And she's taught me like all these different techniques of how to protect myself, to start setting boundaries. I was the worst at setting boundaries. You want to have a business phone call at 9 p.m.? Yes, I'll show up because that's who I am. Now it's no, I have business hours. These are my business hours. If you want to talk, we can talk then. If not, you know, I'm sorry. So just having boundaries in my life on my business side and in personal has totally changed who I am. And she's also have been very, very helpful when it comes to having faith. Like that's been one of my biggest struggles is I know what I want. I'm doing the work. I'm visualizing it. And now I just have to have a faith that it's going to ha- you know, happen. And her philosophy is ease and flow. So do with Ease and flow, everything in your life should be ease and flow. Nothing should be resistance. It shouldn't be hard. And I loved this about her because she just taught me how to have that ease and flow in my life, how to have ease and flow in parenting. I went from a strict traditional parenting, you know, my kids were on a routine. They knew all this stuff. And and yes, they're very good boys, but now I'm a completely different parent. I have more a collaboration style and it's ease and flow. And that's what I want for my business. It's ease and flow. And she's constantly reminded me because I'm a very much a doer. So I'll do something. I'll be like, what's next? What's next? Like I'm constantly do, 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 do. It's like that, uh, fight and flight, you know, in our brain, like, let's do this, let's do this. And now it's just taking the time to slow down, you know, take a step back and actually celebrate, you know, start celebrating the wins. And it's, yeah, it's just been a, an incredible, um, journey working with her and just seeing the mental growth I've had while working with her.
0: That's beautiful. And thank you for sharing all that. I just looked her up on Instagram as well. Um, Amazing. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I would love, obviously we'll stay in touch, but how can the audience get in touch with you? How can they follow along with your business and everything that you've got going on?
1: Yeah, so I'm very active on Instagram. My Instagram handle is emily underscore powerlifting. And then my website is emilyadams.net.